Yeah, I mean, even thinking visually about the film, I've watched so many more films. I have a lot more to draw on. I'm uh, just uh, shot listing, storyboarding. I mean, I know I've I've worked on enough since Gold Star to know so much more about the process. Mm. And um, yeah, it's it's really mind blowing to think back. I was look I, I was going through old notebooks and I found all these old storyboards of gold star and it was just like oh my god i can't believe i actually did this based on <laughs> these storyboards but for me the the key always is like surrounding yourself with amazing people mm-hmm. and i could not have pulled that film off if it wasn't for um my team and yeah. just really hiring people with having an instinct for the kind of person they are too like why are they doing this film and will they mm-hmm. be invested and also how can they communicate their knowledge to me so that together we can all make something that, that is the best version of the script I wrote. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is an award-winning, award-winning filmmaker, if I can talk. Uh, she's also an ultra-marathon runner. Welcome to the show, Victoria Negri. Thanks. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for spending some time with me. I will start off. I wanna, we'll jump right into imposter syndrome because I, I kind of touched on this when uh, before we got going with the recording. Um, just being grateful that you and all of the people that come on the show will spend time with me because I'm not real, you know, a huge platform. Um, so I always feel like, why, why are will spend, people spend time with me? But I'm happy you're here. Um, but I, I was reading an interview I think you did um, talking about imposter syndrome, working with Robert Vaughn on Gold Star and feeling like, you know, do I really belong here? Should I really be doing what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I kind of want to ask you, I guess, a little bit about that. Like, you know, as you're moving forward from that, having finished it, having gone through um, festival cycle with it, mm. do you feel more in place now? No. <laughs> <laughs> Worse almost, because now I think there are expectations. When mm. I was first doing it, I, I felt imposter syndrome just coming from me and I was like such an underdog and no one expected anything. Um, so for people, for people listening, Gold Star is my first feature film. I wrote it, directed it, produced it and act in pretty much every scene. <laughs> uh, it was a really crazy thing to do because I had never directed before anything. I never directed. And I was just like, oh, I started interviewing directors and quickly realized that I should be the one to do it. It was a really personal film. Um, But yeah, it's weird because now, now that I'm moving on to my second feature, uh, the imposter syndrome definitely remains. And I think I feel a massive amount of pressure because my first film could have been awful and people would have been like, oh, of course. (laughs) Of course, she had had no idea what she was doing, of course. But now I... uh, it's all like I've moved up a rung in the ladder, so to speak, of like, I don't have to, I'm not producing this second feature. I have an amazing team working with me um, that I have access to 
actors that were talking to for the lead role that I would have never dreamed that would even read the script. So yeah, it's imposter syndrome is, is strange <laughs> and scary. It's very, I try to ignore it, but it's there. So yeah, <laughs> it's like this, it's, you know, it doesn't even matter. Like I, um, so I also make a show about running cause I have a you know background in running and it, I've been competitively running for almost 20 years now. Oh, and cool. so when I started like doing this show and it's just, it's just me sitting behind a camera giving advice about, you know, topics that people search. So it's not anything involved or crazy, but I'm like, am I really qualified to like do this? I don't, I don't know. You know, but I think in, as, as in the interview um, that you gave about the imposter syndrome, I think you mentioned, you know, you've been acting for 10 years prior to mm. doing the film so it's like, okay, in my case, uh, yeah, probably fine, you know, like to give some tidbits here or there about like, don't do this or do that. Cause you're talking to people that have no experience. Like if I, you know, if we sat down and our roles were reversed and I was like, Victoria, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I want to direct a short film. Can you give me some advice? There's probably lots of things that would come out of your brain yeah. <laughs> that maybe you wouldn't realize, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You don't realize it because you, if you make the decision to do anything, you've been working towards that no matter what in some form or another, like you're saying. So I think it's just that like decision to actually do it because a lot of people talk about something that they want to do and don't actually do it. So it's mm. that fear of like committing to something is terrifying and mm. then causes the imposter syndrome. I have another theory about imposter syndrome. I want to run by you. Um, Sometimes I think that it stems from like our mental state, not realizing the adjustment between when we're children and we don't know anything and everybody's telling us, you know, do this, do that. This is how it's done to Mm. becoming an adult. And now you're the one that's supposed to be doing the telling. Yeah. Does that, does that, does that have any gravity with you? Yeah. There's almost too much freedom in being an adult. I've had a lot of conversations with a friend about um, what makes people really happy and would people in the context of like operating within systems. So Mm -hmm. do people thrive best? Like um, if there are a ton of rules and how to live in a society or would we thrive best with this uh, complete freedom? And I think, yeah, with, with that in mind, like once you become an adult there, seem to be there's no real you choose your own path sort of so Mm -hmm. um people i think people want restrictions and -hmm. want to be told what to do it's scary if you're telling yourself right i was like you know as you're describing that i want to say i fall hardly on the side of people want rules and restrictions and regulations and and to not have to think so hard and i definitely see that in terms of like if I build a product or something like for another business, I create original card games and board games. So my, the whole thing Mm. is building systems and rules Mm. and it like one game I experimented with the rule, the rules are just one side of a card. And then all of the rules are basically on the cards of the game. They tell you what to do. Some people love it and other people absolutely hate it because they want everything super laid out before they even start. And it's really meant to be like, just get in there and get messy and like figure it out. Right. And from that experience, I was like, 
I think people really want like the nitty gritty, all of the rules, please tell me what to do. I don't want to think so hard kind of thing. And I, I think that carries over a lot to life as well. Not that I'm immune by any you know stretch of the imagination. So Yeah. Yeah, it's a fine line how much to be told what to do versus what we do ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has been interesting transitioning into this next film because with the first one I could really do whatever right. I wanted because I raised most of the money and it was, you know, I wore so many hats. Mm-hmm. And in the next one, like, there is a certain freedom in not producing, but then it's also like, oh, wait, I can't do whatever I want because there are, there are people that are really guiding this ship in a way that, like, I'm so grateful for. But... um yeah, there are decisions being made that I'm like, oh, okay, I, I probably, I don't, it's, it's being made in a, it's just a completely different way. Yeah. Um, but also once money gets, like actual money gets involved, that changes things. <laughs> you start like, being accountable to people. Yeah, rather than my grandma being like, here's $20. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I so I didn't, I admit I have not watched all of Gold Star. I started, I got through the first half hour, and then I was like, okay, I've got to work on something else. Um, <laughs> but but I, I started, and I was just like, I need a better time, because I was in the middle of the work day, and I'm like, you know, trying to prepare for talking with you. I'm like, I need a, it, it is my kind of film. I love oh, good. independent films, and my my girlfriend's always like, oh, I showed her the trailer, and she's like, yeah, that's your kind of thing. That's not my kind of thing at all. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I really yeah tried to uh, own what kind of fil- film it is. It's not a plot-driven right. piece. It's really character-driven and um, these people pushing down these existential fears. Right. Well, it seems more like... I, this is what I wanted to ask you about. Um, kind of between the two films, since... I don't think there's a trailer out for Ultra yet, correct? No, I haven't. I haven't filmed it yet. No. Okay, okay. Um, I was like, I was trying to find it in case, but I didn't see anything. Um, so it seems like Gold Star is almost like I would call it like a slice of life yeah. kind of film. You know, mm-hmm. um, is is Ultra the same kind of attitude in that <laughs> no. aspect, or is it more like this is there's really a whole you know story arc to it, like classic story arc. Ultra is very, very, very different. Um, Well, thematically, not as much. Um, It's about a woman who's uh, processing the death of her sister, which we are not really clear about. She blames herself for it. Mm -hmm. And um, she runs uh, Badwater 135, which is a race across Death Valley for maybe people that don't know. It's a 135-mile ultramarathon. And as she's running, um, her body and her mind really break down. She's not taking care of herself properly. Her team kind of falls apart. And as that happens, she has to come face to face with this traumatic event from her past in a uh, surreal way to be right. able to overcome uh, overcome it and finish. But yeah, it's it deals with similar themes, but it's much different in execution <laughs> and environment and scope. Um, so it's 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 going to be, yeah, really blown out. I mean, we're going to shoot in Death Valley. Right. So, yeah, I won't be in my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. Well, but that's, yeah. but that's good, though, right? For I mean, for you, because then you get, you step up and, you know, even though, as you mentioned, there's more expectations, I feel like 
that also hopefully gives you the opportunity to like expand as a person where you're like, I have, you know, I have these resources. I can take risks and do things I wouldn't be able to do, you know, on, on my other film, even if you'd wanted to, or it made sense yeah. because you have, you know, some kind of background or something to step off of. Yeah. I mean, even thinking visually about the film, I've watched so many more films. I have a lot more to draw on. I'm uh, just uh, shot listing storyboarding. I mean, I know I've, I've, worked on enough since gold star to know so much more about the process mm. and um yeah it's it's really mind-blowing to think back i was look, I, I was going through old notebooks and i found all these old storyboards of gold star and it was just like oh my god i can't believe i actually did this based on <laughs> these storyboards but for me the the key always is like surrounding yourself with amazing people mm-hmm. and i could not have pulled that film off if it wasn't for um, my team and just really hiring people with having an instinct for the kind of person they are too. Like, why are they doing this film and will they be Mm. invested? And also how can they communicate their knowledge to me so that together we can all make something that, that is the best version of the script I wrote. Mm -hmm. So at, as somebody who has basically zero film experience, my, my, my whole film experience is basically me shooting myself and I shot a small commercial with a, a actor friend of mine. Um, What's the so, commercial for? Uh, it's for, uh, I don't think I have a bar. It's for one of our products. It's a, our best-selling bar soap. So it's just like, have you seen, do you know who the Harmon brothers are? I know because I'm in the entrepreneur world, but they shoot sounds... all those like funny commercials for like Squatty Potty, Purple Mattress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's like that style of commercial, but for this bar soap that we have. Oh, cool. And it's just a, it's just a, friend, of, a friend of mine. We ran together on scholarship in college. He majored in theater. So I was like, he's a, you know, he's the right person to help me do this. Yeah. Um, but it was just like, anyway. My point being, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I made a c- commercial, so definitely. <laughs> so it's, it's something, I guess. But I, you know, aside from sitting behind the camera and just talking like I'm talking to you, I have no directing experience. So I was curious, uh, because you're both directing and acting in Gold <laughs> like how how do you do that? Do you do you shoot a scene and then get behind the camera and look at the film and go, okay, I wasn't doing this here. Like, how do you direct yourself? Yeah. um, I rarely looked at playback. Okay. Um, I I think it really goes to the collaboration I have with the cinematographer, uh, Saro. Leading up to the shoot, we pushed the, the shooting date like three times because I wanted to try and keep raising money. And uh, he was on board in pre-production really early on. So I sat with him and went through like everything with a fine tooth comb so that once we were on set, I wasn't worried about directing the camera as, and, and we knew all the shots. We were on the same page as much as, yeah, my performance, which as far as like acting, um, it's so difficult. It's like, you just shift your brain. You, you try to stop thinking about it once. The, the, our first AD would call action because I didn't want to call action. And um, yeah, I, I just try and be with that other actor or if I'm in a scene alone, just really, I think shooting in the locations that w- 
everything felt really real to me. Like we shot in my mom's house. So when mm-hmm. I'm in my bedroom or in the front yard, I can, I really easily could just snap into what this film was about for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I would just try a, a bunch of different versions of the same thing. Uh, but I wouldn't look at playback. I think it would make me too self-conscious. I would look at playback of other actors and watch what they did. But okay. if it was a shot just on me, I didn't want to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes my DP would pull me aside and be like, hey, I think maybe we should try it again. This thing happened. So our collaboration was really key in making me feel confident um, that if something was really off, he would say something to me. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really just like switching my brain, like kind of assessing right after the take, like, okay, director hat on, how do I feel like I did? And then just like really letting go of thinking about it while I'm doing it and just doing it. Um, yeah, it felt, I feel like uh, it's the best decision that I made. I feel like I would have been more distracted if I had someone else acting or someone else directing because it was such a personal story. I think right. I maybe said said that already, but yeah, it was it was definitely exhausting. <laughs> like yeah. mental mental uh, I don't know hopscotch or acrobatics. Yeah, jumping between the things. Right, and that's that's one of the things I. You know, just on um, like superficial research, I hadn't caught. But as I kind of dug more into the film and kind of what you've done, I did see that you know Gold Star was a personal story. So I was wondering, you know, what what's the decision to tell that story, especially as your first film? Because I, you know, I imagine, and I'm just trying to empathize, I guess that it's you know, a story of great importance to you. So I, I, I definitely understand like thinking I want to tell this story, but then, you know, you mentioned the apprehension about, do I know how to make this film? Was there any point where it was like, can I do this story justice? Or were you so determined on like, this is the story that needs to be told that it wasn't even a concern? I don't think it was a concern because I had this, it's hard to describe for anyone that's lost a parent or somebody very close to them. I channeled that grief into just wanting to do something to like immortalize this, this difficulty of losing my dad almost, or i I, I channeled all of that grief into just working really hard. And I losing him made me realize like nothing, I went through something awful mm-hmm. and I didn't, I, and I always, so my dad was much older. My dad had me when he, when he was 63, I was born. Okay. So I grew up with this massive fear and knowledge that my dad would die when I was pretty young age yeah and he passed away when I was 26 20 just before I turned 26 okay um and I was already writing a script that was nothing like gold star it was a father-daughter road trip film about um a young woman taking her father to a high school reunion and stuff Mm -hmm. that happens along the way and then my dad had this massive stroke and for a year, couldn't speak or eat 
or talk and was pretty much paralyzed. And I started slowly writing my experiences, feeling really trapped and feeling like a frustrated young caregiver. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really realize that that's the reason that I was writing it at the time. It just kind of felt like this purging of loneliness in this Mm -hmm. experience and this anger that I had like completely buried that I channeled into the film. But yeah, as far as like doubts of it being good, I didn't even think about that uh, of my ability to execute it. The imposter syndrome was definitely there, Mm -hmm. but I fully could, once I said I'm doing this, there was no, backing down mm-hmm. because because I I kind of became fearless. I was like my dad just died in a really sad you know, I watched my dad die over a year and then he died. What can go wrong? Who cares? I should make this right. movie. Right. So I felt it, it was this weird freedom of fear in a certain way um that I try to hold on to really. Um because we all, you know, life what's what what are we so afraid of um we're all gonna die (laughs) we should just if you want to do something just do it who cares everyone's so concerned about their own lives and their own stuff that it's like if you do something and screw up the per whoever is that's looking at your art or reading your your book or whatever whatever it is they're gonna think about it for two seconds and then move on Mm -hmm. so it doesn't really matter (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, this is kind of on a a personal level, I guess. I haven't, so I grew up, my father was not as old as yours, but older than other kids' fathers. So I was born, my father was, I think, 43, maybe 44. So he's in Mm -hmm. his late 70s now. Mm -hmm. And so older than other kids. And I always felt like it, I also had maybe a similar um, kind of thought process as a kid. I always had this like fear of him dying or thinking about him, you know, dying sooner than other kids' parents Mm. and thinking about like, uh, among other things, that's one of the motivators that kind of kept me, you know, wanting to achieve because I wanted to make him proud and want him to be proud of me. Uh Uh-huh, that's very familiar. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, so I have a, so you have a, kind of more I'll say I'll say extreme that's not really what I mean contrasting experience than I did because your father is much older even than mine but I think maybe we had kind of a similar psyche driven into us yeah age. yeah that achievement thing for sure right. where it's like I don't have a lot of like you 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 know you want your parents to be proud of you but you just know like that clock's almost just ticking all the time on the wall and you're like I don't have much yep. time. I even think about it now where it's like, okay, if I, you know, I don't have kids, but it's like, if I want to have kids, like better hurry. Cause like, yeah. <laughs> cause that could be around that much longer. And just, it's like this constant ticking that it seems like my peers and maybe this is, you felt this way too. is like, they just didn't have this pressure and it's internal pressure, but they just yeah. didn't have it. Cause they're like, they're you know they're in high school and their their parent is now late 30s early 40s or something yeah it's not even a concern at all so yeah it's just kind of interesting to hear from you 100 percent. 
Yeah, I mean, it really affected so many aspects of my life. I really wanted to do a semester abroad. I went to NYU and my family's in Connecticut, so I could mm -hmm. see them a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to do a semester abroad and like travel and see more of the world when I was young. And I didn't do any of that because I was afraid if I was away for six months, what if something happened to my dad? Mm -hmm. And he was super healthy. Like my dad ran until he was winning 5Ks in his 80s. Yeah. I mean, not winning outright, but in his age group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he was like super healthy, but then he got Parkinson's when I was in college. And then I was just like, all right, I'm not going anywhere. Um, the ticking clock thing. Yeah, I, I, I felt trapped, really, mm -hmm. by, by, his, by that yeah, perception of time and his age and the math. I remember doing math when I was a kid and being like, okay, when I'm 30, my dad will be 90 something. Mm -hmm. And then wondering what that would be like and um, watching his, yeah, just watching his body um, betray him was mm -hmm. so painful as a young person. Um, and that made it worse because that's a very like definite thing you can cite of like my dad's old. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if this is a, a story I've, I kept to myself because it was just a personal experience. I, I'm not sure if I've actually shared it with anybody before. Oh, um, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, my dad refuses to text, so he has to call, which is oh, not unlike many old people. Although my grandmother will text, and she's of a similar age. So my I, grandma I, texts too, and she's 79. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I had this voicemail from my dad, and I was a teenager, I think, high school, some age, and it's just this garbled sounds, which sounds like crying. Oh, no. It's like a minute and a half long, and that combined with that, like, inborn, like, fear of my father dying made this voice the what my brain made sense of it at the time was like it sounded like he was in like trapped in a vehicle filled with water crying and he was gonna drown or something like that's how my brain processed oh God. it and it just yeah. like freaked me out to no end yeah it's no, like it's the just, last voicemail right <laughs> right and that's God. that's exactly what that's the first place automatic place my brain went and it just it yeah just, my brain would do that too yeah it just scared the shit out of me and it really is just a butt dial it's just in his pocket. <laughs> it's the most benign thing. But like just to like that's how pervasive that thought is. Is that yeah. that's the first thing your brain goes to. Not ah, he just butt dialed me. Silly dad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, not that at God. all. Yeah, that's so scary. I it's true, yeah. We having an older parent definitely does that to you. You're looking for things. You're like, when's it going to happen? Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> I, but I, I think there are many good things about having an older right. dad, too. That's what I was like, going to say. Like, there are a lot of older, like, my dad fought in World War II. Mm -hmm. um, so I heard amazing stories. Um, I wish I filmed them. That's my, I hate having regrets. I try to live not having any. And that's my huge regret with my dad. Because I kept thinking that denial, we're always in denial of like, well, when's it going to happen? But it will never happen. But when's it going to happen? It's never right. going to happen. And I always said to myself, I'll film them saying these things one day. And I never did. Mm -hmm. um, but I know them and I can share them. And he wrote some of them down. Mm -hmm. So 
but yeah, it's uh, there are a lot of positives. Mm-hmm. Like that access to history. My dad was born in 1924, so he experienced the Great Depression and the mm-hmm. World War II and saw so many presidents. And, you know, it's it's just crazy that it, it made it feel not long ago. And that's the interesting thing about history. We haven't really been around that long. Right. Um, so, yeah, he made a time that didn't seem accessible for other kids, really accessible to me. Mm -hmm. Did he, um, we're obviously going down a rabbit hole here, but. No, I mean, (laughs) follow it. (laughs) Um, Do you feel like, thinking of positive things of having an older parent, I always felt like, so my father grew up as an only child on a farm and his parents went through the Great Depression. So they were very, frugal like didn't have a whole lot but may do and you know stretch a dollar bill as far as it would go (laughs) um but because he came from a different generation i felt like what at the time maybe seemed like a negative you know as you get older you kind of reflect on it differently in, in that i felt like because he had a different experience growing up from a different generation with different values and a different outlook on life that I was able to overcome some of the things that my peers were not because they were coddled more. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't know if like your father had maybe a stricter way of raising you because yeah. he was a older generation than like parents now might. Yeah, I was not coddled. I have a really funny story that I think you'll appreciate because it's related to running. Um, <laughs> so my dad, my dad was a runner, and I think I initially started running pretty much just to please him. Um, I was good at it, but I didn't like it enough to be great at it. And we went running just in our neighborhood, and I think I was in, like, junior high or something. And my dad was super fast even in his 70s. It was crazy. I, I couldn't keep up with him, and I was so embarrassed about it that I just faked an injury and was like, oh, I'm just gonna turn around and walk home. I was like half a mile away. I was like, I can't. But I was so ashamed that I just pretended I hurt my ankle and turned around. And I think most dad, and I don't wanna speak for most dads cause I'm not a dad and I don't know normal dads, but um, most dads might now in that coddling kind of uh, way ask like what happened or what's wrong or say, oh, I'll walk back with you to make sure you get home. And I was in G, I was like 12, 13, Mm -hmm. Um, walk back with me and then continue the run. And he was just like, okay, bye. And he kept running. (laughs) 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 Even though I had no injury, he didn't even care. He's like, okay, well, I got to do my run. Like this is, Mm -hmm. I'm doing my thing. So it was really like, what I learned from him was he really took care of himself. Mm -hmm. Like despite everything that happened, he balanced family with alone time really well and would like go paint paintings in the basement and practice piano. And, and um, yeah, I think I, I just learned a lot about what to appreciate out of life too. And also, yeah, I definitely wasn't coddled. So I think that I, I, he gave me a huge work ethic because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, you're hurt, whatever, you'll be fine. Yeah. And and uh, uh, resilience. I think I learned a lot about resilience from him. Yeah, it's like that 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 walk it off mentality. Like, okay, yeah. well, you're fine, but you'll figure it out. Like, you'll yeah, figure it out. Yeah, you're still standing. 
Yeah, no, no problems here. This, I kind of wonder, and this is speaking culturally, but just, I wonder if, you know, we've kind of got helicopter parents now. They're like overcalling. And then you've got kids that, I'll say kids, but I don't mean that. You know, young adults that go to college and have no idea how to do their own laundry or like the most basic of things. Yeah. I, I wonder how long, or if it will, but I assume it will. I wonder how long it'll take for the pendulum to kind of start swinging back the other direction and for people to go like, okay, wait, this didn't produce the kind of children we wanted either. So now we're going to have to do, you know, go back the other way and be like, you're on your own, you're eight years old, go to the store and buy all the groceries <laughs> for the week. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, if, if I ever have kids that, I mean, I would definitely raise them the way I would change some things, obviously, because we learn from our parents, like what we felt worked and didn't work. But mm. I don't think I'd send them to the grocery store. But um, yeah, I wouldn't. I would make them solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. Like I'd definitely give advice, but I wouldn't step in and interfere on stuff. And I think that that my parents didn't do that for me. And I saw a lot of other kids' parents just kind of like aggressively do stuff. And I'm like, oh, my mom. And I think that's why, like, despite my parents' age difference, it really worked. Like, mm-hmm. my mom really doesn't call me much. Mm-hmm. She doesn't, she'll, like, check in, but there's no helicopter. There was right. never any helicopter parenting. I woke up, I made my bed, I went to, like, I did everything I needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nobody had to tell me how to function. So kids are smart and they learn. And if if you teach them that they can rely on you, they're just going to rely on you. Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Raising kids seems uh, complicated. So <laughs> anyone who gets through it and has functioning adults, well done. <laughs> Did well, yeah. Well, it seems, I mean, this is a little presumptuous, but I mean, it seems like that the whole idea, I mean, the whole idea of you not being coddled is a skill that allows you to, you know, make a feature film as your first film. You know what I mean? Like you already have not, you you didn't have making film experience in that sense, but you had all the, the raw ingredients of like, yeah, I'm fine. I can figure it out. Like, yeah. And I didn't expect anyone. And I think that's why partially why I could pull pull it off for such a low budget. I didn't really ask people to do more than what I felt was fair based on what we were paying. Like, I found all of the locations. I, I, I basically was the location scout also. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just tried to, yeah, I didn't rely on anyone beyond what was uh, called for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, oh man, it was so much work. <laughs> years, <laughs> I think it was like six years of work total. Yeah. Be- between writing and releasing the film right well that's where i see like and i don't know maybe you can um shed some light on this but i don't know like what the scale is in terms of like how much a small independent film costs versus a major blockbuster and obviously there's steps in between but it it seems like obviously the more people you get involved the more money you have to pay because you got to pay them to go find locations or to find people and to do casting to write the script and to do revisions and you know, the more you're doing it, the less money you're paying, but the more time you're spending. So, um, so if you're comfortable sharing, like where does like gold star kind of 
fit in budget wise and then moving up and you know how does that how does that change over time yeah for so for gold star the there was a lot of strategy involved because i knew i kind of knew what i could get um to raise money for it mm -hmm. um so we set one of our producers ellen did a really fantastic job of making three different budgets mm -hmm. what we what we could get for the lowest amount of money we could raise and what right. that was the medium and then the reach and the reach one the reach goal i think was like $150,000 like and that's okay. super low right. we all in including releasing the film and paying a publicist came in still just under 100,000 which okay. is insane right um but i knew that i could going back to your original question of like committing to this and doing it and what kind of like doubts i had i knew i wouldn't have to pay for any locations the only mm -hmm. question mark because i i know the owner of the bar we shot in i know the owner of the gym we shot in right. i knew he would shoot in my mom's house we used a friend's apartment in new york um i the only question mark was the hospital mm -hmm. and if the hospital made us pay a normal rate would have been 15,000 a day Mm -hmm. they gave it to us for free, which was insane and the biggest blessing. So the film looks a lot more expensive than it cost mm -hmm. because of these things that um, uh, a family member generously donated catering, uh, mm -hmm. owns, a, owns a restaurant. So I knew, I called in every favor I possibly could, but then there are jobs that you have to pay for, like a guy who's a gaffer and a grip. They're mm -hmm. not going to do this out of the kindness of their hearts. Like that's right. their day. That's their day job. Right. So that's their job. So, you know, using the money that I raised and looking at these three budgets and seeing like, okay, do we have to cut script supervisor if we're at this level? Do we have to cut? Um, do we need a gaffer and a grip and a swing? Can we just use one person? We even like did things as strategic as on days where it was just me acting. We didn't bring the makeup artist on. Right. I asked I asked them to leave the makeup they used on me and write out specific instructions on like how to do it with a photo of me. Right. So I could like look at I mean a still image from the film so I can like look and see. But like I even did my own makeup. Yeah. So on certain days. So it's um yeah, it was really just being very strategic about how to stretch a dollar mm -hmm. and how to just yeah, uh, and it's so painful. I hate asking people to do things for nothing, but um, I think what the film is about and having a lot of family in Connecticut willing. Mm -hmm. Like my grandparents um, drove Robert Vaughn to and from set. <laughs> so people were really, um, everyone, I mean, it was a team effort. Anyone mm -hmm. who's a blood relative of me did something. Everyone in the bar scene who's an extra is related to me or mm -hmm. like a very close friend. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just a lot of that. Um, so for the next film, like looking forward, because I've used every favor I'll ever have, mm -hmm. I have no, I have no favors left. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to do something like shoot a short film, I'm sure I could raise enough money to do that. But for like yeah. another yeah. feature, no way. And especially for this scope, like to shoot in the desert and have it be at a budget level where people will even be safe. Right. Um, you can't shoot it less for than like 800,000. Like this film, it has mm -hmm. to be uh, a million at least. Um, so that's what I think our low is around there. 
Um, but also it depends on what actress we get. Right. But if we get someone who's super famous, then the budget will get even bigger. Um, and I'm talking to actresses right now that I'm, I'm actually flying to LA on Monday to meet with somebody mm-hmm. who I don't want to say her name, but if she says, yes, oh, that's I'll, fine. I'll message you and tell you. And if she signs anything and yeah, it can be a really exciting announcement. But if she says, yes, my head will explode and <laughs> it would be insane. Um, but it's such a different process, like reaching out to famous people. You mm-hmm. can't reach out to more than one at the same time. And it takes them all like six weeks to read the script. Yeah. <laughs> so it's for me, it's like a, the scope is different. Like with Gold Star, I could work nonstop on it and just like churn that engine, like move that train forward. And right. with this, like I'm waiting around because it's a much bigger scope and you can't mm-hmm. get these people to move quicker than they're going to move. Right. So um, it's great because hopefully a lot more people will watch this film, but it's also just different. I keep emailing the producers. I'm like, what can I be doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, like hurry up and wait. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's hurry up and wait. So, um, yeah, the scope is, it's completely different. Um, I'm not raising the money. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have, I have two thoughts slash questions here. And part of it comes from a, a personal background. And this is, Another rabbit hole I'd like to get down with you is that originally, like, so when I went to college, um, I had done some prep work in high school with music theory, and I went to college with the intention to do music composition because I wanted to do film scores. And I went through, I basically have a minor in music because of the number of music classes I took towards this goal. But then at some point, I think maybe sophomore year, I was like, I have no idea how I could ever make a living, you know, writing film scores. It's so competitive. I'm just starting looking back. I'm like, I should have just done it. Like I'm a dummy. But anyway, the question being like, because there is a lot of hurry up and wait, like how, how do you make a living? Do you make a living from the film? Like, no, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, no. you know, how do you, how do you do that and balance, you know, making a living to, to support yourself? Barely. And I think like I really admire transparency with filmmakers when they talk about this, because I always wonder with my friends who are making films, what the hell they're doing to get by. Um, So I actually like I was really inspired. One of my uh, an acquaintances on Facebook last night, she's been posting. She's a producer. She's been posting her hours worked every week where she'll write hours that I worked that were paid hours that I worked that. I got no money for and we're just for like projects that I'm trying to turn forward or, right. or that are my own work that I'm not making money for. And right. I think one week she had like 125 hours or something insane. Um, so for me, it's piecing together like a whole bunch of things. I freelance produce some things right now, I'm producing a short film that's shooting next end of next week, the sixth through the 10th. Okay. Um, I do a lot of transcribing which is um, super boring, but can be very interesting sometimes. But what's mm-hmm. great about that is it's very flexible mm-hmm. and I can do it on my own time um, and wherever my laptop is. Right. Um, so it's mostly like those two things, juggling them back and forth. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to have this next film be the thing that gets me more into, I'd love to write scripts and get paid for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily have to direct or 
direct, you know, a TV show and not work for a while. I'm mm -hmm. not quite there yet. Um, but I hope at this next film that it'll uh, be the thing that does it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like day job stuff, really. Mm -hmm. Like I've I've done such random things. I mean, it's been years since I've done this, but I used to like cat sit for people mm -hmm. and um, or what else did I, I worked in like a theater selling stuff uh, during intermission. Uh, God, like random jobs. Mm -hmm. It's it's a stressful way to live for sure. Yeah, because there's yeah. no cer certainty about anything. Yeah. Um, but like I can pay my rent and I'm fine. It's just like on a day-to-day -day basis, the way I make money isn't exactly what I love doing the whole right. time. Right. Yeah. Um, but I have I, a ton of flexibility is, is the thing. Like I'm able to talk to you right now. Right. Um, I can kind of shift things around. So it's good. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of wonder, I'm sure you've had this experience of like, well, maybe not, but. I'll, I, if I was a betting man, I would bet on this. You know, have you had, like, people have the perception that, especially now because you have, you know, this future film out and you're doing this other film and they're like, oh, you're this successful person. So, like, now you're making all this money. But then prior to that, obviously, there's a lot of back work that gets you to that point where, you're not making money from films and you know, you're, you're not directing films. We have no, before you've got a feature length film, people looking at you and going like, what the hell are you doing with your life? Even though internally <laughs> you're like, like, I know what I'm doing, but like you, you have that drive. Yeah. You've had that experience where like maybe your family or friends are like, Oh, wasted talent. Like she had so much potential. What is she doing? I think it's more, it's less like, friends in New York because here I'm mostly surrounded by people that are have the same struggles okay. and are doing the same things yeah. a lot of family family's been interesting for me because I, I don't think they sometimes know how to talk about what I do yeah. or they forget they're like wait you haven't shot ultra yet your next feature you haven't shot it I'm like no they go well what's happening I'm like well we're reaching out to <laughs> actresses they're like oh and then I have to explain. It's just a lot of explaining. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell. I, I, I think everyone's super. I think everyone's very supportive. There's just a lot of question. I don't know. This undercurrent of like, will she ever make it kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like everyone, the, the question that annoy. there are two questions that annoy me that people don't mean anything by. It's just right. they don't un understand anything about filmmaking. Right. The first one is when... When will your film play at Sundance? And then the second question is, uh, is it on Netflix for me to watch? And those two, achieving those two things are pretty difficult. Yeah. So people act like, oh, it's not at Sundance? How is it not at Sundance? I'm like, I don't know. They take 0.001% of the people that submitted. Right. And to get on Netflix, like right now, Netflix is in a weird time where they're mostly making their own original content. Right. So net Netflix isn't that interested in like little me over here with Gold Star, um, right. despite having like Catherine Curtin plays my mom in it and she's on Stranger Things. Like despite stuff like that, um, they're not as amenable to pitches from people lately. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's just things like that that I'm like, 
I think people understand success in filmmaking mm -hmm. in just the very obvious things rather than looking at the film itself and seeing it as a success of like, oh, it's, she did that, wow. I had one relative actually say to me after she saw Gold Star, you made a real movie. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I did. I'm glad your expectations were so low going into this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a fake movie is, but thank you. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's real. It's, it's, it's it, like you said, it's, it's that thing where like, they're, they, they're very well-intentioned. It's not, they're not being malicious. They're just ignorant. Does that like, happen have, with you? Yeah. yeah, like I have, so I, I spent, I'm not anymore, but I, I spent eight years post-college trying to become a professional triathlete. I don't quite have the physicality to do it, but I mean, it's it basically a six to seven day a week, 52 week out of the year pursuit. Yeah. So it is not, I'm not like doing, a, you know, something on the weekend. Like it's a, it be, at, at its height, I was training 15 to 20 hours a week on top of doing all my other work. Yep. And I have... Uh, a niece who I love and she's of a similar age to me. She's a few years younger than me, but she, she would always ask me and I would explain every time and she met well, are you, are you training for a triathlon? Are you doing a triathlon anytime <laughs> soon? Like, I don't think you understand. This is an all consuming this is project for my entire life. life. Like, this isn't, yeah. this isn't just, oh, I'm going to do one maybe sometime. <laughs> no, this is, Every single day I wake like this morning, even though I'm not after that anymore. I got up at 6 a.m. to go to the pool, to yeah. swim in the pool for an hour. Then I did strength training after that. And like. <laughs> do you get, do you get like, antsy though? Do you, do you plan out like, cause I'm in this weird phase right now where I'm looking for like, what's my next move going to be in uh -huh. running? Like what, what race am I going to do? Because for me, it helps to look forward towards a goal. Are you okay with just kind of not having anything on the horizon? Or how does that mentally work? For no, you? I've had a lot of difficulty with that um, in the past few years. So I basically stopped my pursuit after I had a crash um, at a 70.3 event <laughs> where I probably would have qualified if I'd finished. I was having Ugh. a phenomenal day and I was going around a blind corner. A guy passed me on the inside when he shouldn't have. Ugh. I had a patch of gravel and I shattered my collarbone. Oh my God. So I had to have surgery and I was out for several months and I had worked my body and my mind so hard that I was just broken. Like I was I just, can't imagine I was that. just a oh shell. My God. I, I, yeah. I, I, it was like I said, because, you know, I, so I went to an, um, I don't know how much you know about like sport divisions of schools, but I went to a school that was originally NAIA, which is, it's now a division two school, but mm. like, so I was not a division one runner. I was not top of the class kind of runner, which is who normally becomes a professional, you know, if they try to switch to multi-sport. So it was a long shot for me from the beginning, but because it was something I was so dedicated to doing because I wanted to do it. Like we were talking about earlier, the freedom to choose anything. Well, this is the thing that I chose. Mm -hmm. And because I, you know, I, put myself through everything my my body and mind had to get there it, there was just nothing left after that setback so i've i've had this period where i've had difficulties trying to figure out what is the next thing because i lived with you know trying to be better you know than i was last season for 15 16 17 years of my life mm. 
and, and, you know, yeah. it's always like, what do I do now? You know, I, I've had, I've had trouble with that, but so I still pick out races, you know, I've got my first, I'm going, getting back more into just like running only races. I'm doing a, like a St. Patrick's day run here in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I do pick those out and that helps, mm-hmm. but I still get, because there, there's an aimlessness to it. I'm not yeah. trying to qualify for anything. I, I doubt I'll ever be national champion. Like I'm, I'm friends with, and he's been on the podcast, Todd Buckingham, episodes three and twenty nine. Um, he's he has been national champion and world champion as an amateur. Um, I'm just not on, you know, not quite to his level. So it's like I don't have these goals anymore. So I still have that existential dread yeah. from time to time, where I have I have things on the race calendar, but sometimes because I'm working so hard, I'm like why am I doing this? You know? And I, 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 so I struggle with that and try to figure out, like I mentioned earlier, do I go back to, do I start over and I go, okay, let, now let's start working on music composition. Well, that's a daunting task. Cause I, <laughs> I've never written anything. And, and yeah, so I, I struggle with that. It's, it's definitely not something that comes easily to me. Yeah. It's tough. The goal, the, setting a goal versus like, yeah, what I'm grappling with with running is because I used to be really goal oriented and I knew I was never doing it for like anywhere near uh, your goals. But I right when I started, I my times were just dropping like I was getting so fast, yeah. so quick and like to the point where in like New York Roadrunner races finishing like 10th in my age division where yeah. I had no coach. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I can actually do this. And then I started I was like. Oh, I want to keep running further. And now I'm at a place, I'm at this weird place where, so I had an injury last uh, summer. I was in a walking boot for a bit and my foot was just messed up. And now I'm like, I don't, I just kind of want to do it for the experience and enjoying mm. it. And I think that's what I like about ultras for me. I just like living in it for a really long time. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I'm still kind of confused about like, what, well, why, why exactly am I putting myself through this for so long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which makes me, yeah, unsure about how hard to train or, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a weird moment right now with running for sure. Some of that stuff, I feel like whether it's running or what, whatever the discipline is, you know, I, I have a variety of hobbies, I'll say. Um, I, I feel like sometimes, and this is, maybe this is a cop-out, but it's kind of what I go back to, where it's like, whatever the discipline is, it doesn't matter what the discipline is, just pick something. Painting, running, filmmaking, uh, dog training, whatever it is. You know, if, if you have an interest in it, and you kind of dedicate yourself to it, and trust the process, there are things that will appear in your life that will possibly seem like chance or luck, mm. but are a result, are a direct result of the time that you've spent engaging in this activity. Mm. Yeah. You know, like, would you have ever made a film about around ultra running if it's not something you did, you know? No, I mean, and I hadn't run one until after I started doing it, but I started, I, I started just reading a lot about ultras yeah. and then learned about, bad water and was like oh my god that's very cinematic (laughs) so yeah it's just yeah my interest in it led me there for sure yeah Yeah. so that's 
it's it's nebulous. And led me to my led me to my producers. My producers, I think, my initial uh, first person that signed on, um, David Lowry. I think we really he's a runner also. Mm-hmm. So we both were like, oh, oh my god, we just we would get sidetracked with talking about running for a while. And he already knew about the race the film's based on. So like that was a huge um, thing, I think, in getting this team's interest, which I'm really fortunate for. Yeah. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Or it's like, you you made that connection with him based on the subject matter, which is like, maybe it goes back to your dad being a runner and that influencing you and then you kind of getting into it yeah, somewhat it's all reluctantly. Like a, a, a line coming. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy how far back yeah. it goes. There's this analogy I heard once, and uh, I, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's something along the lines of like, like you're you are in a boat on a river, and you have a paddle, so you can paddle that boat. But there is a path that the river takes that you have no control over. Yeah, and. You have the options. Yeah, so you have the option to paddle against the current or to try to paddle to the side and hop off. And I feel like in those moments where we're struggling and we don't know what we're doing and we feel just completely lost, it's like you're you're on the river, you're going around a bend, you're not sure, you know, where you're going what's around the bend what's happening you know whether it's going to be rapids or whether it's going to be smooth Mm. sailing but ultimately if you trust the current of the river which is the current of your life you know that you will reach your destination because that's simply the path that the river takes yeah that's how life feels to me as i get older i'm like anytime i felt completely overwhelmed it's because i'm fighting something that yeah. I should kind of just accept. Yeah, stop paddling upstream and just yeah. like, let the current take just you where go, it's, it's supposed to it. take you. Yeah. 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 Um, so even though we are both kind of free to make our schedules, I'll try to be mindful of your time as we're kind of running a little on the overside. Um, this season, which is this year basically of the show, I'm asking everybody the same question because just I like to see people's opinions on it. So I'm asking everybody, what do you think the purpose of sport is? Hmm. Wow. Yeah. The purpose of sport. Wow. To think of one purpose is really difficult. Um, I think it's to prove something to ourselves. That's how I interpret it. Um, whether it's to prove that you can work well with people, to prove that you're capable of doing something you thought was impossible, or to prove even like we are the better team. Like mm-hmm. I think I think that would be the thing that all the drop downs can come from to prove to prove. But I think to yourself, like I, I, even even though sports can be a team thing, I think there's a lot of psychological stuff going on that. You have doubts and then you play a game or run a race or, you know, have a track meet or something. And it's, it's constantly proving. Yeah. Challenging yourself. Yeah. That's such a good question. (laughs) It's the purpose for it. Hmm. 
Yeah, for me, for me specifically within the context of as I explore ultra running, I think I need to do it. And I don't know, because I'm sure there's a lot of subconscious stuff going on that I don't even can't even talk about. But Mm -hmm. I think I've been through enough in my life that's made me feel like not a strong person. Like I've had to overcome and everyone, everyone has. But I think I I need a concrete way to prove it to myself, to show myself that I am resilient. I need to exercise my own resilience. And for me, ultra running is the ultimate form of that. It's, it's exploring what am I when I feel like I can't go any further? Who am I? Because it really breaks you down. And then you have to keep facing that over and over and over. Um, yeah. I can't, yeah, it's so, <laughs> it's so deep for me, really. It's like, who am I? Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, like when I'm alone in the woods and at mile 40 and I have 10 miles left or something, um, and I haven't yet done a hundred miler, I'd, I'd love to, but the furthest I've gone is 51. Um, but yeah, when I feel like I have nothing left and my legs are shot and I'm exhausted, it's how am I going to handle this challenge? What kind of person does that show I am? And I think that's what it is. It's, Proving to yourself the kind of person you hope to be mm-hmm. in in moments of difficulty. That was a very long-winded answer, I feel like. But I no, think, it's good. That's good. I think, I think, I'm, I think I'm, I'm finding something. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I hope. You'll spend, hopefully, maybe you'll spend more time with it when you're out on your next run thinking about, okay, what? why am I out here? Which is nice because you have all that time to yourself when you're running. It's, like, it's just assuming you're not running like in the city – and you have the freedom to not worry about traffic. Like Ugh, it's so just I hate a, running here. It's, it's awful. A, right. It's a lot of like time with me, time with myself, what's going on with my own thoughts. What are the automatic thoughts that are playing in my head that I didn't even notice small irritations from the day or joys or whatever it is. Yeah. There's like things in the subconscious. So now I love the answer. It's, it's a great answer. Um, so obviously you have not, shot ultra yet so i can't quite ask you when it's coming out (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we're hoping to shoot um we can't shoot in the summer because it'll be too hot in the desert so we're hoping to shoot fall or winter of late 2020 early 2021 and then the next year so 2022 probably (laughs) these things take forever and then we can talk again (laughs) That'll, that'll be great um, in the meantime, uh, where can people find you? Uh, possibly you watch Gold Star. Um, I think I'm watching it on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime is definitely the best way. And if you watch it, um, I'd love for you to leave like a little note saying what you thought because reviews are really helpful for more people to discover it. Um, yeah, I'm on all social media. I think I'm blocked, not private on all of them. But if you follow me, and I, I, you seem normal. I will follow you back and accept. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, tw- Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, all those. Um, I have a mail list you can sign up for on my website, which is okay. just my name at victorianegri.com. And that's a good way to get updates. Um, but yeah. Sounds yeah, good. please, ev- everyone, everyone watch Gold Star. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it in so long. 
it's it'd be interesting for me to rewatch. I think it'd be painful for me to rewatch it. <laughs> Maybe it's just about just just leave it be like. It, it is what it is. It's done. It's done its thing. And you can maybe revisit it like down the line. If I didn't act in it, I think I'd be less freaked out, but yeah, it's exhausting looking at yourself uh, a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think a yeah, lot of people everyone watch it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for spending time with me today, Victoria. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. I love the conversation. Take care.